desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is the desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill. Okay, you might remember this. Yes! So, yeah. If you don't, go back a couple of episodes because... We've been talking about all sorts of saucy things that I'm sure you would love to hear. We're going to carry on in this episode with really naughty things. So if you don't know what we're talking about, go back. And if you do, carry on. And I mean, it takes time. As we know, it takes time. It's got to brew. It's got to grow. Um, But I would totally support you. And I totally promote the hell out of that little blue pill. Fuck yeah. Um, Especially if I brought you on, if especially if I brought it in conjunction with, so I do want to do an episode called Don't Get Caught With Your PP, parentheses, P out. And that's for here, it's the Paycheck Protection Program Plan. So they, they created <laughs> another amendment to it just recently. And I wanted to talk about not getting caught with your PP out. And um, so anyway, so again, I'm just like, again, I'm all over the map. And that's why I say I can't speak with, you know, righteous indignation because Lord knows, like, for example, accountants are reaching out to me, right? Mm-hmm. Teach me, teach me, teach me. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, right? Like, I mean, I guess I could. Um, I, I, you absolutely, you can because you've done it. So you got to keep in mind that, you know, a grade fiver is a god to a grade three or so. <laughs> as long as you know more than they do, that's all that matters. That's, I mean, that's the, I mean, that is the very truth right in there. So I have, so I took on a woman, um, her, so her name is Sanella. She's a CPA. And um, she called me up and she's like, oh my God, I love what you're doing. Like, you know, can I become your intern? And I thought, thank you universe, because I literally just made that wish and boom, fulfilled. And so now I've been training her, which takes a lot of time and effort and energy and stuff like that. But she's fabulous, right? She's fantastic because I'm teaching her the art of the planning, the art of, you know, this is because a lot of CPAs, I'm not one, thank goodness, but a lot of CPAs, they, they can sometimes be over regimented. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like very like, like this, you know, like there's nothing, you can't see anything else besides here. Just that. And what you have to do is you have to kind of like go like, you, you can't stretch this, right? Like it's like a butthole, right? Like you don't want to have to play with it. No one really wants to think about it. You know what I mean? But you do know it stretches. So it's kind of like the same idea. And in fact, it can be quite pleasurable if you're the right person, right? So it's the same concept. It's like, if you just opened up your narrowness thought a little bit you'll find out you really enjoy the money you can make as a tax planner they're saying you too might like it in the butt <laughs> <laughs> never know until you try it <laughs> never know hey listen it took me 37 years for me to meet the right woman that would let me have fun because that was the truth i i um mm-hmm. I just wanted to just experiment. I think it finally hit me, right? The, the question, the curiosity. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of gays out there that I think do. And a lot of, they don't. Like my husband's absolutely never, ever, right? 
But for me, I was genuinely curious and I think it was the best thing I ever did. It doesn't mean I'm straight. Um, in fact, it helped me to understand my straight guys that used to fool around with me because I used to think they were just closet cases. Like I would think like, who fucks a guy is not gay? Like seriously, right? Or at least bi. Like who <laughs> like kind of what makes you gay? Yeah, Everybody's right. Everybody's going, uh, like the like act once of- you've crossed the line. Like, right? So- <laughs> Because I, because one of our friends, like they would always tease him and stuff like that. And, and I felt really, I used to always feel so bad. And so when I finally, you know, made love to a woman, I, I did mind fuck myself. Like now I understood that process too, which is like, because honestly what happened is I started doubting myself. Like I was like, am I really straight? Like, oh my God, am I like, am I really straight? Like, oh my gosh, like, Did why? you feel ashamed that you were straight? <laughs> no, I wasn't. No, I didn't have the shame part. I was just more confused more than ever. Like, have I just have I just been in the closet the whole time and not realizing it? Really, that's really honestly what was happening. <laughs> and then, um, and then I just like I remember like stopping that thought process, and I was just like, nah, it's just sex. I really enjoyed it. I liked it. Doesn't mean I crave it. Doesn't mean I want it. In fact, it's it's not. It's not even something crosses my mind. That's the thing, right? Like it's over, done with. It's like kind of like you want to know what I don't know vanilla ice cream tastes like. So you taste it, and then you're like, I don't like the flavor, right? It's the same concept. And so. Needless to say, that's what happened. So when I understood that, I understood that having sex with a woman once, or even if I did 20 times, I don't care, it does not make one straight, gay, or whatever, right? It's just the act. Right. And mm-hmm. so when I figured that part out, I had a whole new sense of respect for my straight friends that would have sex with me. And I released that judgment, thinking that, you know, they were, they were, actually, they were actually gay. And, and really, truly, they're just straight. And they're just being guys, let's be real. And so... <laughs> Well, okay, I get that part. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, about the, it's about trying something and then you kind of, and then it opens up your mind and you realize that there's actually more, there's actually more out there. Like I said earlier, you know, had I never, had I never made love to a woman, I never would have figured out why men so badly chase pussy. Uh, straight men to be exact. I would have never figured that out. And I, fe- I was like, oh, I get it now. Because it was that intense. It was that powerful. Well, there you go. You know, I don't need to do it again. I'm like, I'm cool. I'm cool. You know, but it doesn't change the narrative other than- I just wish more women would figure that out, actually. Because it kind of drives me nuts that women don't know that. That, well, okay, this, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I, because I, okay, because I have a dick, right? It has a particular sensation and everything else. But I will, I will share this with your listeners should you decide to post this. I'll share this. I'm definitely it's, starting the blue pill for business. And I'm just going to go, no, it's explicit. Yep, <laughs> 18 and You over. know what to expect. Yeah, yep. exactly. No, no shame behind our game, right? Yep. So this is what I discovered by making love with a woman as a man. I didn't just like fuck her. All right, that's very, it's very clear here. I didn't just like throw her on the bed and fuck her. Like that would never going to happen. Um, instead, I spent eight hours with her in my playroom and I had it set up as a massage table in there and, you know, whatnot. And I basically, she thinks to her, she allowed me to explore her. And the truth was out in the very beginning. I said, look, I'm a gay man. I'm very curious. I'd like to, I've never really been with a woman and I'm just curious, you know? She was like, have at it, right? So, um, and through that process, we actually learned a lot with each other and about each other. It was a, it was a beautiful moment. Nice. Anyways, so I remember like exploring her and her body. 
But see, as someone like me who's inquisitive and curious and wants to know beyond just putting it in and fucking, I really want to understand like the anatomy. And what I had discovered when I was looking, I call it a flower. I don't know. I can't, I can't to me, I'll call it like a pussy and jokingly and stuff like this, but to talk about it like this, I can't use that word. So I just say flower because that's kind of what it looked like to me, honestly. It really did look like a thrilling flower. And I'll never look at roses the same way. And <laughs> so I, I remember looking and going, oh, I see her clitoris is like my penis. And so in my mind, because I know what my dick likes, I know what it enjoys, I decided that I would do the same thing. Right. And so I traced it back. I rubbed it. I did all kinds of stuff to it, right? And of course, I saw it getting larger. And I was like, oh, shit. It's, it's totally like, like that. <laughs> like a cock. It's like totally getting hard. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, this was fascinating. So I, you know, played with it and, you know, this and that. And then I started exploring a little bit more, like, on the inside a little bit. To me, I was like, oh, this is like my scrotum, except that it's an inward versus outward. And for me, that was fascinating because TMI, but I love my balls to be spanked. And I love them when they're rubbed and stuff like that. So I thought, well, if I like mine rubbed, she surely would like her lips rubbed. So what did I do? I rubbed her lips and, you know, this and that. And then um, I started like paying attention to like the penetration, like how, you know, the inside of it and, you know, whatnot. And then I was looking, reading her body, reading her cues, right? And I thought, well, I'm a bottom. So, cause I, let's be real here. I like to get fucked and um, always have natural born bottom. And uh, I was like, well, I know what I like as a bottom and I know how I like, I like what I like. And so I figured, well, maybe perhaps she'd like the same thing. Well, to lo and behold, the same type of stuff I do myself or have others do to me, I was like, I was on top of the world, right? And it was, it was so fascinating because once I understood the anatomy was pretty much my anatomy just on the outside, mm -hmm. it completely changed the way I saw everything. And that's when you say, you know, I wish women could see how powerful their pussies are, right? How powerful they are. Um, or better yet, you know, I don't think they ever could because they, you know, they can't have a dick, right? But in many ways, I can tell you as a man who never had sex with a woman for 37 years and did it once, the level of power behind it is so powerful that one has to think for a moment that there have been laws since the beginning of time that have forced you as women to open your legs to the pleasure of a man. Because let's be real here. Like I, this is what I say all the time. I can't just go up to any woman and say, bend over me, fuck you, right? Because that ain't going to happen, right? I don't know. Anyways, you get what I'm saying. So you, it just doesn't happen this way, right? At the end of the day, one has to give permission, right? Well, you are the one who's in control. You're the one who says who can come here and who can't come here, Right? That's the ultimate control. And because men are inherently afraid of this control, they were like, fuck that. We're just going to create rules. We're going to claim there's a religion that makes you after man was made, right? We're going to go ahead and create laws that, can't, that prohibits you from taking care of your own body. We're going to enact laws that, you know, make it difficult for you to have decisions about your own sexual lives. Like, right? We're going to force you to work in the house and we're going to use determined, you know, demeaning terms like housewife and spouse, right? You know, homemaker. Oh, it's worse in French. <laughs> my woman and this is my married drives yep. me nuts oh, and I, I have huge issues with the whole in um institution of marriage because really it's it's a legal contract between a man and his father-in-law and basically saying i will take over your possession and i'll make sure that she's taken care of for as long as you pay me x amount dowry and oh it drives me i have huge issues with that and when they 
brought in common law, I went like, this is such complete bullshit. All you want to do is tax that relationship. It has zero to do with marriage or anything else or people falling in love. It's got nothing to do with that. And it's such a crock of shit. Oh yeah. You, you want to get my, <laughs> me on fire and start talking about that crap. It just drives me nuts. And people don't get it. They don't, they're like, no, I signed my contract. My dad didn't sign it. It's like, really? Did you? <laughs> yeah. Your dad didn't sign it. He didn't give you away? Well, yeah. Come on, girl. Well, what does that represent? Shake. It represents the ownership, right? Mm-hmm. It represents the ownership. My husband and I, we got married back in, uh, so we legally got married in 14. I married him on his birthday in 14. Uh-huh. We just haven't had the right amount of people in the room. But nobody knew. So we actually had the ceremony in October of 2015. And I jokingly said I married him for tax purposes, which is slightly <laughs> true. And um, I had already run the tax projections. And uh, anyways, so, but when we got married, we actually had the ceremony. That's what we did. We eliminated all of the traditions that you have with marriage for the most part. Like we were like, no, we know we're making our own rules. We're doing our own thing. So for example, we, you know how you have like the bridesmaids and the best men or whatever. We had the court of whores and they were all women. <laughs> and uh, we basically just said, so the, so the theme was a night of a thousand sequins. And because my husband loves glitter and, you know, flashy, flashy. People think he's the bottom in the relationship because his mannerisms is hilarious. I'm like, no, he's the top, but I wear the pants. So anyways, so he, um, isn't that always the case sometimes? So anyways, so he, he glitter, glitter. But we just told our, our court of whores that was a fall theme. And we didn't tell them what kind of dress to wear, the colors, and nothing. And, you know, those women came back wearing, they were all pretty much matched up. The dressing was beautiful. Like it was gorgeous. And then we thought we would go with a cake and then we're like, nah, screw it. Let's just do cupcakes. So we had cupcakes, right? And then we were going to do, um, you know how like the, the, the traditional wedding song or whatever. Yep. Um, we picked some of the song, which by the way, none of this music worked. So we actually improvised the whole entire rest of the evening, which was fine. And then something else that we also did that was really unique. And that was, I hated going to weddings and where they would toss the bouquet, but only the girls could go chase after it. And I wanted to catch the bouquet. And so we threw eight of them. Nice. Eight of them to represent every year we had been together up until that point. And because I'm a businessman, I went to all of my clients and I had them pay me to be a commercial in my wedding. How so? Uh, So I went to them (laughs) and I said, uh, we're throwing these bouquets and whoever catches them, there's going to be a prize attached to it. And would you like to sponsor this bouquet? And so they were, so of course they were like, sure, like, what do we got to give away? So uh, the biggest, the one of the most famous, the one that people dived in the water for and got wet in the pool for <laughs> was for the full paid vacation for a three-day stay in Bisbee, Arizona at a hotel that my client gave. Nice. So like Absolutely. that. And so what we were doing is we would take, so we held the bouquet up and then we'd say, this bouquet is sponsored by such and such and such a company. They specialize in, it's, it was a commercial, it was a 30 second commercial. And we'd like to apologize to the Hilton for ruining your fountain in the middle of the. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then we threw the bouquets and we let anybody and everybody catch the bouquet. So it wasn't nice. limited to gender or anything. Like I said, people dived in the pool. And then something else I thought was really special. You know how like normally they'll do like the bride and groom table? right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, we didn't have one of those. We didn't have time for that. We were too busy socializing and walking around. And the Social other thing, of course you were, <laughs> of course. And then the other thing that we did is we, we had put together like a thank you list and we took about, so 
so bad of us. We took like an hour, but we read through the entire list of everybody that was there that had contributed to the wedding, including nice. the people who attended. Cause it was like, thank you so much to so-and-so for doing this. And then our photographer, they were running around taking pictures of everybody. And we were we, back then we were so bad. We were like, just stand up and get shot. You're about to get shot. You know, so be ready for it. You know, of course the photographer, <laughs> but everybody came together to have this magic. We had over a hundred guests. Nice. I mean, in this gorgeous mansion, our friend owns, like it was like the, it really was a magical night. And I remember when my husband and I exchanged vows. by the way, we didn't have traditional vows. We don't have wedding rings. Again, we did away with a lot of these traditional things. And so I read my vows and they were, they were very personal, of course, you know, very much to what was going on at the time. And he, of course, read his vows to me, very personal at the time. And I'll tell you the feeling of being married, the feeling of marrying my spouse, my husband, was so powerful and so magical that like, even signing the wedding documents the year before, it couldn't even compare to what happened in the ceremony. And what I realized in that moment is that this is what people were fighting against, robbing us of that feeling. And that feeling, one cannot express unless you've been there. That's the honest mm -hmm. truth. There's no way to express it. There's no words to explain it. You know what I mean? It's like the joie de vivre. You know, it's, it's something like that. It's like you can't explain it. Mm -hmm. And that's what you get from somebody that you ultimately are just happily in love. And I'm so fortunate. I met a man who completely loves me unconditionally. Actually, I envisioned him when I was 17 years old in my journal and I wrote that one day I was going to marry a skinny white guy with blue eyes, blonde hair, pale white skin, and just absolutely cute and would accept me for me and all of me. And sure enough, the universe would produce him. It took me several boyfriends to get there, but I met him I and that's why I'm able to have, you know... He didn't know about my sexual deviances, so to speak, with the woman. He knew about everything else, all the boyfriends and everything. That one I had a harder time bringing up because it was a double threat. You know, in his opinion, it is a double threat, right? It's like, I don't have to worry about dudes, but then you throw in a woman into the mixture. Now you're really making this nervous for me, right? And it took a while. How the hell am I like, supposed to compete with that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it took a while to like assure him, like, listen, babe, trust me. One time deal. I'm good. I'm happy. It goes on, right? And now, like, that's why I'm able to have a conversation and, and, and know this and, and why, in a way, he has, like, he gets it, which I think is fascinating. So nice. needless to say, it's very rare to find somebody that you can find that truly accepts you for you. Are you ready for the business connection? Yeah. This is true in business as well. You know, right? At the end of the day, if you think about it, we're all chasing for one, that one partner that's going to pay us whatever we're worth in business, right? It's going to take care of us. It's going to provide for us. Just like we're looking for the right husband, the right wife, right? right? We're looking for that one person that's going to contribute and help us take care of ourselves and vice versa, well, right? And they're looking for us because we're the ones that are going to help them. We're going to be there unconditionally. We're going to get them out of the traps and we're going to go, hey, you can do it. Rah, 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 sis, boom, bah. Get your ass back out there and go do it again. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's the ultimate truth. We're looking. So in the meantime, while we look for Mr. Wright or Mrs. 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 Wright, Mr. Wright, all the rights, while we're <laughs> looking for the right hand, we're going to dabble and experiment on this hand. I mean, it's just how it is, right? That's the Gotta same kiss thing. kiss a lot of princes. Got to. You have to. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is very true. And then eventually you kind of go, oh, up my game now. You know, it's funny. I read a, uh, I used to be, I am, what am I talking about? I am an avid reader. And... Um, <laughs> I had, 
I read a book. Um, gosh, I can't name the title of it now. But anyways, it talks about, so it's, it's all, I would, t- I would read things like on poverty, education, economics, things of this nature. And they always say like basically the super wealthy, for example, the reason why the super wealthy are always with the super wealthy is because they go to the same places together, right? And they go, to, they experience everything together, right? That is, mm-hmm. that is the world. The wealth is the wealthy, the poor, the poor. This is just kind of how the cycle goes. And I already forgot what I was going to say. Damn it. I hate when that happens. I'm an avid reader, like reading economics. Da, da, da. It'll pop back. It will pop up. It would be about the ultimate partners. I think it was something to do with partners in business and something else. Sorry. Apparently it's not meant to be said yet. That's okay. It's um, Leading into that. And the thought that I had forgot earlier is uh, that the caste system is alive and well, not because we impose it here, but because we stay in it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it really is just a fear of, not knowing and wanting to go somewhere else. And I think ironically too, though, that emotionally people will grow by going down caste systems as well as up caste systems. So I think a lot of people are totally afraid of the, the, the hood. And it's like, they're all normal people. They all just want to be loved. They all just want to be able to express themselves. They just want to figure out who they are in this big bad world. And I think there's a lot to learn from, from that experience. It's kind of like traveling, right? When we went to Cuba and my son saw poverty for the first time, it was like, and he was in tears, like the dogs on the streets and he's just losing his poor little mind. And I'm like, it's not a bad thing. It's okay. These people are actually happy in their lives. He's like, how can they possibly be happy? Like their house sucks. It looks like they're going to fall on them. They're going to die in their sleep. And I'm like, because it's not about the money necessarily. They're, there's always this essence of what is life. Somebody's not necessarily happy because they live in a mansion. It's, it's, it's who are you and how are you expressing yourself and all these other things. And, and I think that it's important to be able to build character kind of lower and higher, if you want to put it that way, but I don't think they are. I think it's like left and right or for, it's not even forward and backwards. It's left and right. It's just, mm-hmm. it's doing a dance and it's doing a shuffle. And the more you can experience the whole dance floor, <laughs> The better dancer you become, kind of thing. <laughs> that, oh, ain't that ain't, ain't that the truth? You're absolutely right. You know, you're very right about that. Because again, like I had no idea what my economic status was. I had yeah. no clue, right? Really, up until I started, maybe I think it was about it was about late in middle school, like seventh, eighth grade. You start to kind of slowly figure out that something's not quite right here in the picture, right? That's kind of like when you start to really see it, I think. And then definitely in high school, you really see it, right? You really see it. The kids that drive the brand new cars, right, to school or, you know, the kids that always seem to have the newer, nicest, latest and the greatest, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like going like, how do they do that? How do they get all that, right? Like constantly. And I remember one time my, my mentor, his name is Steve, Stephen, and he said to me, he goes, you know, Jonathan, because I could tell he was upset that I was upset that I was, because at this point now I'm in college. I was still a poor kid in college, right? And uh, still, by the graces of God, met a wonderful man that we were together for eight years. Man, he's like four years older than me at the time. But anyways, um, (laughs) but his mom ended up like helping us to get a place, like a small little condo. So there's a lot of blessings. I'm telling you, like up the wazoo, blessings and blessings. And 
I remember like being frustrated, right? Because I was like, all these people have like these nice cars and, you know, these brand new laptops and, you know, da, da, da. oh, I know what it was. So I'm taking, I was my freshman year in college and I had bought me a brand new laptop. I'd saved up the money. I was a janitor cleaning up offices and I'd saved up enough money. At that time, laptops were like too much money, right? And I remember it was like a thousand dollars and it was like, it took me months to get a thousand dollars. And so I went, I bought, I was so happy. And I went to university, went to class. It was, I remember it was in, so it was in earth sciences and the teacher had us, the professor had us go outside to look at a, a sun oven or some bullshit. And when I went back in, the laptop was gone, oh. gone, gone. And I remember just feeling so upset and angry and frustrated and violated and just like, what the fuck? And I went to the front of the room. I told the professor and I said, do you think I can just tell everybody that my laptop disappeared? And it happened during class, right? Like, obviously. So I made a plea. And I said, please, everyone, you know, if you're listening, I worked really hard. Like, I don't come for money. Like, I had, it took me six months to save up this money. I went, I cleaned offices just so I can buy this laptop. Like, please, if you have it, you can put it back. I'm not, no charges, nothing. Just, I want my laptop back. It's, I worked so hard, right? Of course, I never got it. So when I told my friend, Stephen, this, my mentor, he reminded me of something very powerful. It's alluding to what you said earlier, which is the happiness in either class. And he had said to me, he goes, you know, Jonathan, just keep this in mind. The people that have those super nice cars and those super nice houses and those super nice this and that, whatever, he goes, there's two things that drive it. The, one, the first question you have to ask yourself is, is, are they actually poor though? Because they borrowed all of the money to get all that stuff? Are they really truly wealthy? That is the question. And then number two, are they really happy? Are they genuinely happy? Now, of course, back then, happiness to me meant having $1,000 in my bank account. <laughs> having my laptop back. <laughs> okay, having my laptop back meant happiness to me, right? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and in many ways, that's why, like, the other day, I was, like, I had this moment of doubt, like, Ellen, Ellen Martin says this beautifully. She says it's, like, download from universe, and I got the ultimate download, and that was, I asked the question, you know, every single one of us has one wish, Every one of us, I don't care who you are, from the cockroaches, by the way, a whole cockroach story behind that, to the dogs and cats and animals, to us, the gods, demigods, everybody has one wish. And that's the wish to be happy. Plain and simple, right? But because of our materialistic existence, the way that we know to be happy is to have financial security. What creates the financial security? Money. That's what creates financial security right? And I remember that moment because one of my boyfriends one night had asked me, um, had asked me, like, Jonathan, like, tell me what it means. Like, what does it feel to have the kind of money? Now, mind you, I have a regular, just regular small house. I don't live in a fancy neighborhood or anything like that. It's just a normal neighborhood, truly. And he says, what does it feel like to have your life, you know, to have this money and stuff like this? So I would tell him success stories or whatever. I'll never forget because I said to him, you know what the feeling is? It's never having to worry. It's never wor having to worry about the simplest things. Like if the car breaks down, not a problem. Paid for, right? The house, something goes bad with the house. Not a problem, right? Here at the office, something happens. Not a problem. Got to pay an attorney several thousands of dollars. Not a problem, right? That's financial security. That, create, that continues, in my opinion, that's the materialistic way in which we keep that happiness going. 
And then that's why I was like, okay, well, how did I do that? Oh, like I said earlier in the show, it's about understanding the investments I make at the business level, right? And then we know, we know we go back to that story about where it all goes. But it boils down to that ultimate wish to be happy. And now that I am a person who makes decently well, um, I still catch myself in the little moments where you're like, am I really Now you get to go through the rest of the, um, not Darwin's hierarchy. Ah, escaped my brain. Whose hierarchy is it? Maslow's Maslow's, hierarchy of needs, right? Yes. And, you know, eventually you get up to that self-expression and and you're figuring out that it's really not about the money that's making you happy. The money allows you to not worry, which is fantastic, and stress, which then allows you to start figuring out who are you, where do you belong, what kind of people do you like hanging out with, how do you like your eggs cooked, and, you know, and how do you want to give gifts to the rest of the planet, and what does that look like? Do you want to sing? Do you want to write? What do you want to do? You nailed it. I mean, you, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, that is the ultimate truth. And I really think like, I think that's what keeps us entrepreneurs alive. I really do. It's, it's the hope and the desire and the wish to do exactly that, to really be able to express ourselves. And then what entrepreneurs, especially accountants can find ourselves guilty of, so to speak, is molding into what we think the client expects of someone in our industry right? Mm -hmm. Like where I used to, I used to wear the ties and the shirts and the suits, right? Now I technically out of naked tax talk, I wear polo shirts and shorts and sandals. Technically, you're not wearing anything, dude. (laughs) Now on a show, you know, technically you're you're naked. (laughs) I don't know what you got going on from under the desk, but (laughs) yeah, better not stand up. God, I gotta tell you about that. That was a funny story. So I had a someone, I had a someone, someone talking to me. I gotta be very careful with this particular story. But this person was, we were having a conference, like you and I are, and they were always used to seeing me in a a suit, right, ties and shirts and stuff. And that day, I was wearing, uh, I think it was a t-shirt. And um, yeah, anyway, so they were like, oh, well, in that case, I'm glad I didn't, I didn't show up dressed for the occasion. And I said, okay, because they were just wearing a t-shirt as well. And they stood up. And of course, when they stood up, their whole entire Johnson was like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> and I was just mortified. I was just like, why would you do that? And I was so enamored all the same time. And I was like, I was like, you do know? I can't take my like, eyes off of that, but that's wow. wrong. <laughs> Like, wow. Because I, when I created my company uh, back, yeah, when I started, and when I moved into my, my corporate space, that was, that was, and then again, when I created my company, that was the number one golden rule I had set for myself, which was I don't sleep with my clients. It was something I was, I was adamant about. And um, so this particular person, like I said, they got up and I was just like, why? You know, like the other day I had one of my most, he's so adorable, one of my clients, he's so adorable. I have many adorable clients, actually, when I think about it. So he, he then tells me that he kind of bats for both teams. And I was like, no, like, why, why, why did you be my client first? You know, like. <laughs> oh, you know, those kind of rules are meant to be broken. It's all good. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know where that, I don't know where that discipline comes from. I have no idea where that comes from. But no, that is a rule I will not break. Hell to the no on that one. No way. I got to sleep with you first and then we can become a client. But I can't. I can't go the other way around. So I'm pretty sure it comes from a very, very old ancient saying of don't shit where you eat. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> don't come, don't Dude, come don't in the same place. <laughs> you can sleep with the boss, but don't be sleeping with your clients. That's it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. But anywho, <laughs> so yeah, so this is the, I guess you'll have to call this the blue pill episode. This will be episode something. I don't know. You'll have to figure it out, but this would be cool. I, I will figure it out. Yep, absolutely. You know well, what? And the, yep. Go ahead. I was going to say the last thing in the in my book, the business ownership mindset. I flip Maslow's hierarchy upside down. So normally it looks like a pyramid, and I go, no. If you put it this way, and you consider it to be the amount of time you spend in that zone. So if you spend more amount of time in self actualization, and less time worrying about what your fundamental needs are, then you will have success. You'll be happy. You will have the money. You will have all of those things because you're spending on time on the one thing that's most important. And I get it. Sometimes you go into survival mode and, you know, shit happens. COVID. <laughs> but, you know, COVID. Yeah. the rest of the time, focus on, on that and making sure that you have all those, the intricate parts of that hierarchy in place. Yeah. And that, and then with the self-realization also amounts to two fundamental things as it relates to happiness, right? Which is awareness and mindfulness. And these two forces are actually hitting against another force called ignorance. And so you probably may have heard this, but on my show, I always say all the time um, that ignorance is what actually does not allow us to have choice. The honest truth is, is that ignorance does not provide choice. You're just doing it. You're just moving through the minutia of it all, right? That's ignorance. You're just like, blah, 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 right? And it isn't until you encounter a, a person, an experience, or something like that, that begins to remove the fog of ignorance and sheds light, right? And we call this awareness. That's all it is. It's simply awareness, right? And so like in our case of being entrepreneurs, part of the awareness structure is looking at the dots and connecting them, how they all correlate together right? Now, when we're first starting to practice awareness, it takes a lot longer for us to connect the dots. Usually, it's kind of like, you know, many, 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 many incidences later, many, many years later, you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when that person bislapped me like that. That was because I was supposed to learn that lesson, which I was supposed to learn that lesson, which, right? But it takes a long time. When you become super aware, this is a new term I'm creating right now with you. When you become super aware this is the opportunity in which we can connect the dots within seconds. When we can, that's being in tune, right? We say this being in tune, right? With the universe. We're able to make dots and we're able to make the connections like this. So now instead of it taking years and years and years to connect dots, it takes me on average, typically about an hour to two hours, even while in the present moment, I began to make connections. I began to see how it all fits into my higher purpose. And so um, like, for example, us having this conversation with your show, right? We're just going to ignite it, by the way. We're just going to catalyst it, call it a day. And by the way, let me tell you real fast, you're going to make it for 18 and over on YouTube. You're going to indicate it's only for 18 and over. Your viewership will go up because I, I did that by accident with one of my videos and I noticed the viewership went up. <laughs> just going to say. So anyway, so super hyper awareness makes connections, right? Makes these, all these dots. Now it's one thing to be aware. So the moment we become aware is now when we have the freedom of choice. Now we get to decide, right? I can exactly. either go back to the fog, which it doesn't exist anymore, it's gone. Awareness killed it, right? Mm -hmm. But I can now consciously go to the left or to the right, whatever that direction is for you, and, and or I can go the other way, right? And we always, personally, I, at least for me, I'm always trying to go into the more positive direction versus the other way around, because I don't like the feeling, it's icky. The next step then becomes mindfulness. 
mindfulness is super powerful because mindfulness coupled with effort allows us to constantly stay in that state because unfortunately ignorance is a fog and like i said earlier you'll eradicate it but it kind of can seep its way in if you're not careful mm-hmm. and we call that complacency right we can call that the great life's all cool 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 and then you eventually slip back into that mind of ignorance right you allow yourself essentially so mindfulness is always double checking the awareness but you need effort and you need concentration to keep those things going so for example when i was going down this particular contractual disagreement with this former client of mine um i was having to be mindful i was aware of what was happening I was aware of connecting the dots and I could see it as it was unfolding. And I was going, oh yes, this was the lesson. Bullies exist in business, right? Oh yeah, and I was connecting the dots. I also saw right away that universe is out to protect us. So it brought me angels, all kinds of angels. It brought me a psychologist to help me deal with it while it was unfolding. It brought me um, an amazing sales coach that I'm working with now that I needed that. It brought me two coaches, one to work on my spiritual path backwards and one to work on my visionary future nice. all at the same time all coming to me and i was able to see those dots tout de suite like rapidement je peux regarder comme ça and so after that you then go okay now that i know that i have to be mindful so that when you begin to see the behavior in the bully right it's awareness you know oh that sounds and feels familiar to me And then mindfulness kicks in and goes, do you really want to go down that path again? Right? So now you're like, pull the pump, the brakes, right? But in order to pump the brakes, it takes the effort, meaning you got to do it. And it takes concentration, meaning you can't get sidewigged into something else. You got to constantly be. So this is our human existence. It's constantly applying many of these different ways. And uh, for those of you that are curious, and if you're curious, I studied Buddhism for 10 years. Nice. And I would get thrown into Buddhism by being systematically discriminated against when I was a teacher. And so I went looking for, to, to end my suffering. I went to look for answers. Isn't that what we do as spiritual beings? Of course. We're like, how do I get out of this? And some of us, <laughs> God emanates. For some of us, Jesus emanates. For some of us, Buddha emanates. For some of us, you know, it's the um, uh, other prophets that emanate for us. But at the end of the day, the universe is coming to life to guide us so that we don't fall into this trap because the reality is what you just said a minute ago, which was it's all about our self-expression of who we really are. That's what, that's what true authenticity is. That's what true realization of self means. You know, it's kind of like in Buddhism, we say the inherent emptiness of existence. And this term is very like, ah, and it took me years and years to understand what the hell that little phrase meant, because you can't just go Google it. <laughs> and what I'm finally realizing, and uh, Abraham Hicks was another person I ran into, by the way, about a, about a few months ago, I ran into her teachings. And the other day I was listening to, she has an hour long show right now on YouTube. And I was listening to it, just, just chilling, listening. And she also talks about this, which is she calls it that vibrational level in which you raise your vibration and it's the feeling that's no longer the feeling. It's no longer the emotion. It's just, it's just literally being. And in Buddhism, we would call that, we would call that moment uh, in the moment. It's in the moment. And I often tell people we can gauge what in the moment means 
is when for a split second, you realize you're not thinking about what happened two seconds ago and you're not what's worried about two seconds in the future. It's just like right now, all you're getting is whatever you're supposed to receive, whatever you're supposed to download, whatever, right? This is the moment. This is the time when you're just like, mm. and in all cases, in all religions, in all faiths, in all whatever, the moral of the story is, is to live in that space for as long as you can ride that bike, right? As long as you can ride it and stay right there. And just like a bike, it teeters and totters sometimes if you slow down, right? It speeds up. You can go too fast. You lose control, right? If you stop, it, you can fall off the bike. But guess what? You fall off a bike. You just get right back on and continue on. This is exactly. what living in the being in the now means. Nice. And that's exactly what I've done with you for the last three hours now. Do you know that it's been three hours? <laughs> this is fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, good to know. So my last, so my episodes technically do not have time limits on it when I'm with somebody, a guest. Nice. And the last one show we did was, was my, my lawyer. And uh, we spent three, we closed the shop down three hours into the program and people were still commenting and, you know, still being, because by the way, my show is interactive, so you can give comments yep. and stuff like that. But awesome. people were just like all in it, three hours, and we could have kept going. That's the honest truth. Absolutely. And I could keep going, but my mom and dad are calling because they need to get on a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, give, give it, give, you better say bonjour à t'espérance. espérance. Oui, c'est bien. <laughs> c'est bien. I will do. Yeah. Are you Canadian French alors, or what? Uh, well, yes and no. So uh, weirdly enough, um, my, my dad's from Paris, or my dad's parents are from France. So my grandfather is from Paris, my grandmother is from Brittany. But uh, he never taught us how to speak French because he got teased when he was little about not being able to speak English. Mm. So we grew up just being able to speak English and we're all super resentful of the fact that he could have just talked to us. <laughs> we would have learned French too. So we all went out and learned French somewhere else. And I learned it in school uh, so that the teachers wouldn't understand what we were saying. But then, and, and I've done like extracurricular stuff and post-secondary and all that kind of fun stuff. And then in September, we were in Portugal and uh, one of the guys that we were with didn't speak any English. He only spoke French. So I'm like, well, I speak really bad French, but I can translate some stuff when you better than nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I, I spurred a something, something in me and now I'm studying like crazy again too. But I much prefer the Parisian accent to the Canadian accent. That's funny. So, uh, my, so my, quand je parle français, l'accent, c'est... Um... C'est évidemment que je ne suis pas française, euh, normalement américaine ou canadienne, ça dépend. Mais à la même fois, je sais que mon accent aussi, c'est le sud de France, parce que c'est là que j'ai appris de parler français. Et c'est ma famille Xangie qui me donne l'accent, qui veut dire. Et, euh, et voilà, so, donc, c'est intéressant quand je parle français, ce n'est pas exactement comme l'accent, ce n'est pas, pas, pas le même accent comme quand je parle anglais, par exemple. Je ne sais pas pourquoi, mais c'est la raison. You sound very Parisian to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's cool. <laughs> I, if I can understand you for starters, then you're not Canadian French. <laughs> and Owen, the father of my son is French Canadian, but he's French Canadian from New Brunswick. So it's a completely different accent and I don't understand them at all either. Oh, that's a blame. So. Was like, let's go to Montreal. You can speak French there. And I was like, no. So I used to belong to an all French gay group here in town. Yep. And uh, a lot of Canadian French for sure. And they always had like a very, like a Quebecois, c'est le point, le point, c'est un point. 
<laughs> like that. And uh, in France, they're all like, why do you do that nasal thing? Because every once in a while, I go, why? <laughs> why do you do that? <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. Me, French. And uh, the French for sure. Like that. And then I remember, like, too, like me, like being in Southern France, like I, I, I it's interesting. Again, you know, it goes back to the whole thing. Like I never imagined that I would be, I would have a French family for God's sakes. And that much less I would go back every other year, it feels like. And, um, and, and each year I go back, I always learn something new, either new etiquette or new mannerisms or new words. Like I remember it was in late 2000s. I learned the word profite and I never, I didn't understand what the word meant. Like you'd see it, you know, this nanny kit coming up and there's a commercial, right? Profite de no, they said so. like this. And I never understood what profite means. And then finally it just dawned on me. Like it just clicked and I went, oh, take advantage of. But see in English. Profit from. Yeah, in English, when we say when we say take advantage of, as a very negative connotation, right? Whereas in the French, profiter, it's, it sounds very pro- positive, actually. Oh yeah, because you're profiting from something. Profiting from it. So now that's why I say, as the French say, profiter. You know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So, salut et à la bientôt. Salut. Prochaine. Merci bien. Yeah, um, yeah, and then you can come on my show and we can uh, have a conversation. Dans le moment, oui, dans le moment, c'est bien. <laughs> Oh, ok, amazing. bon, à tout à l'heure. À tout à l'heure. Right, ciao, au revoir. au revoir, bisous. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side.